Welcome to the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing podcast, where we explore the hottest topics in cyber marketing, interview experts, and help you become a better cybersecurity marketer. Hello and welcome to another episode of Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing. I'm one of your hosts, Jana Whitfer, here with my amazing co-host, Maria Velasquez. And today we have someone really amazing to, as our special guest. We have Ashish Kusiala. He is the Chief Marketing Officer of Traceable AI. Thank you so much for being on, Ashish. Thank you so much for having me on this podcast and show. I'm truly looking forward to it. We have a great conversation with both of you. Yeah. This will be great. We usually love when we have guests that don't necessarily have the traditional path to CMO. And we're really excited for you to share your story. So yeah, for our listeners, tell us about you and, and how you became CMO at Traceable AI. Yeah, I don't know if there's a traditional path to the CMO, but I can tell you my story and you know we'll see if, if that is interesting. My personal background is, you know, I've been... Uh, born and bought up, well, born in one country, but bought up in several different countries because of my dad, you know, who was a diplomat for India. So, you know, I had a lot of experiences growing up across different cultures, different countries, different schooling systems, etc. I came here about into the U.S. to study about 25 years ago and somehow accidentally found myself to be living here now, right? I love it here. And um, my path to this job, you know, starts with you know, I was very interested in computer science and computer engineering when I think, you know, it was a novelty kind of a thing, but I loved it. So I did some core engineering, you know, like computer science, computer engineering, masters, started writing code, led, you know, product and development teams for a while. The business side always interested me. So I went back to school to do my MBA at um, Kellogg School of Management. And then moved over to, you know, sometimes what I call the dark side of the business, right? Like (laughs) marketing. And the core role that I loved and, you know, I I first started with was uh, product marketing. So product marketing is, uh, I think, the most central and core role, which connects with every role in marketing and outside of marketing. And for me, that was like a really interesting role and something very fulfilling because I could use my engineering background, my product background. And then also, you know, my love to connect with people and tell stories. And it became the role that I kind of like did for a number of years. And as you do that role and, you know, I I talk about you have to touch all other facets of marketing. I started to learn them. And my story is kind of interesting. And, you know, I've spent time both in really huge, large companies like Hewlett Packard, where I built my career uh, across various roles to extremely small startups. This is my fifth startup. And um, it's all the way from managing and marketing for a portfolio of 100 billion plus to a portfolio that's under a million, just trying to get off the ground and growing that. So, you know, as I did all of this, you know, my last role before here was at GitLab, where I really helped the company to scale. And so, you know, Jyoti Bansal, who's the founder of Traceable and, you know, Sanjay, uh, Nagraj, they both approached me and asked me if I would come over to Traceable to kind of help the company get off the ground. You know, they just kind of started and had just gotten out of stealth. And that was a very interesting uh, experience and, you know, um, uh, to be had and uh, challenging as well. 
that's how I ended up, you know, being a CMO here where I've been for the last two and a half years. The company's founders have been very successful. So there's a lot of potential, you know, in, in, in this startup also becoming like, a, you know, a big company uh, solving like really complex problems. The challenge of getting something off the ground where nobody knows the company except for the founder's name. So, you know, essentially like escaping gravity, as I call it, was also very challenging. So I love solving complex problems and to apply that, you know, across engineering and product management and marketing. And and the smaller the startup you're at, the more roles you get to play and, you know, kind of influence, influence, you know, different functions. Um, That's why I took up this role and it's, it's been a lot of fun. I'm so curious because moving from GitLab, which is an established, well-known company, moving from Hewlett Packard, which is a super well-established, well-known company, you know, going down market into smaller companies is a big risk because while you get to do more and have more of an impact, right? There's more of a, in general, more of a chance that things don't work out. It's just the nature of startups, right? So can you maybe walk, and and I think this will be useful for everyone listening who's trying to make a decision on a next move. Like, can you walk through your decision process or your strategy or how you were thinking about why you wanted to move to Traceable from GitLab? Yeah, I mean, I think I think I have a certain thinking in my head and philosophy that I follow. And interestingly, like, you know, my marketing team, we are a set of marketing folks who have moved together, like for some of us, for, this is our fourth or fifth company together. And I, I think we all kind of like have a common trait or DNA, maybe if you want to call that. Look, at least for me, I'll speak for myself. I love to do different roles and I like to take up different challenges. I want a job that gets me jumping out of bed every morning to be in front of my desk versus being in a job like, oh my God, it's Monday again. And, you know, I got to like work or like (laughs) Friday, like, you know, it's and the work week. And I see a lot of people like that. Right. And I like to be in a role that challenges me every day, but it's important that I'm learning as well. And I think my whole team is built like that. They all believe in this. That's why we move together, you know, company to company to company. And every experience, you know, I would say has taught me something that's valuable to take across to the next company and to the next company. So, you know, you look at a company like HP, I learned engineering, you know, writing code skills, managing product, right? Complex programs, you know. I went and did my MBA and HP was, you know, such a great company that they said, we are going to sponsor you, don't leave the company and, you know, keep working for us. So they completely funded it. And I came back and I stayed with them and I, you know, learned my marketing trade there. And those experiences really count. You may think that you're sitting in a company that's comfortable for you and you know the people and you know the processes and, you know, what will happen if I go to a different company? But you'll be amazed when you actually change a company, whatever you've learned, sometimes brings a new perspective, or I would say not sometimes, lots of times brings new perspectives to solving challenges at the new company. It counts. And then you go to the next one. I wouldn't advise anybody to jump every 12 months or you know six months or so, but whenever you make the change, my philosophy has been you know kind of twofold. One is, how is this job going to help me two jobs down the line, Right. So it's not necessarily is the pay better is the opportunity, but how is this going to help me learn and educate myself 
and be ready for something I do five years from now or eight years from now. And I have maintained that philosophy throughout my, my career, right? It's a completely different challenge working in smaller and smaller companies, multiple different ways, but it's also very fulfilling. So why would I go from a really big company to a smaller, to a smaller, to a smaller company? I think you take your learnings with you. And for example, when I came to Traceable, I had to help the company. Well, we had to help the company kind of get off the ground, right? Like I say, escape gravity. It's a completely different challenge. You have limited budgets, you have limited visibility, but you apply all your learnings. And as you start doing that, you find that you'll get into the trajectory that you did at your previous company. You've already done that, which is how to scale a company. And then, you know, there's a trajectory, like how do you now take this into multi-billion dollars of a company? So most people, I agree, go from smaller to big companies, but that's not entirely true. Like I've seen a lot of people go the other way, but these experiences transcend. There's a commonality, like you can talk about in marketing what those are, but it's fun. It's fun to grow something. It's fun to kind of like seed something, grow something and scale it. And look, it depends on your philosophy. Like, you know, one of our core philosophies is experiment a lot, learn from them and iterate a lot, right? And test what works and what doesn't. And if you have that kind of an approach, you will succeed in most roles, right? It's very important to have a supportive management structure around you and a really great team with you. So I would encourage everybody to, to you know, try the different variations and uh, you'll love it, I think. Yeah. You mentioned mindset and you mentioned having a mindset of experimenting, making mistakes and and learning as fast as possible and, and, and reiterating. I think that that actually comes really handy if the mindset also is of the founders or, or the CEO, especially if you're in a small company setting. Tell us a little bit more about, I mean, if you agree with me, uh, why that is very important. So you said something that I want to expand. I do agree with you, but is that true necessarily of founders who have small companies and small budgets or also true of big companies with big budgets? Nobody wants to throw a lot of money at something and see it not succeed at the end of six to nine months. True. I think if everybody takes the approach of like, you know, here's an idea, let's try it, let's pilot it, let's put a small amount of money and effort and resources into it, and if it works, seed it some more, experiment with that. If it doesn't, change the basic, you know, thesis of what you're trying to test, then the next time you come to your management and your boss, you know, or your manager hey, I need X amount of dollars to really go to town with this idea. You proved it. You get that funding, right? And everybody has to get funding from whoever, you know, they work. Even the CEO has to, you know, kind of like they have full control, but they report to a board. Like everybody reports to somebody, like, you know, it's a company money that you want to maximize it. So I think it, it works in all models, right? Uh, you yourself don't want to put your heart and soul and, you know, time and effort and resources into something, not knowing what, you know, what this is going to do. You do make big bets, but those are on themes. You should have an end vision, but there are multiple ways to iterate and get there, right? You, you can, of course, correct as you learn more and, and, and you move towards your vision. But you really need to also build a culture of your team to do that. Hmm. How and do you do that? 
So I think as a, as a leader, it's really important to build that culture. So for me, that means I want people to understand that it's okay to fail. It's okay to fail, but it's really important to quickly learn from that and to go on to the next thing. It's really important to have a very data and analytical driven approach because a feel good approach only goes so far. This, you know, where's the data that's showing me this works? Where's the data that's showing me that this isn't working and what tweaks we will make? But I've had managers and who have kind of let me experiment, let me fail, let me learn. If you have a learning approach towards, you know, these processes or ideas, and that's what you have to encourage in your team. You have to be okay if they fail. And you have to still pat them on the back and you say, you know, good, we learned a lot from this. Let's try something different, right? And you will see more often you'll get, you know, more home runs than you'll get failures when, when you kind of inculcate that culture. With so much buzz in cybersecurity, we know how important it is to cut through the noise. Take it from our friends at Hacker Valley Media. With over 50,000 listeners from all over the world, they have mastered the art of standing out among the crowd. Boost your company's message by partnering with them on podcast sponsorships, live podcasts, and events. Check them out at HackerValley.com and tell them Maria and Gianna sent you. Again, that's HackerValley.com. How do you balance? And maybe there's no answer to this, but it's probably the answer is data-driven. How do you balance learning quickly with making sure that what you experiment with and what you do has enough time to sort of percolate so that you can pull actual meaningful data out of it. And I think we're coming from the perspective of, you know, we launched, oh, we launched a campaign targeting these individuals saying this message. Like, for example, like someone might be like, okay, where, where are the results in like next week? So how do you balance that? Cause it's, um, it's hard. I feel like it's tough. Yeah. It's tough and it's hard. And I think, you know, also also always challenging yourself and your team of doing more of the same that everybody else is doing won't let won't not necessarily let you stand out and achieve better results. So having that in mind, having the, you know, some things you will know really quick, you know, when we talk about iterations and we talk about experiments, you're visiting it on some given frequency. Is it is it weekly? Is it monthly? Is it daily? It depends what you're testing and what you're driving. For example, ads. You can know the results really quickly and see the trends, you know, in a matter of days. I'll give you another example. So, you know, we're building, you know, one of the key roles in marketing is also to generate demand, which is to help build a, you know, sales pipeline. And you build a sales pipeline maybe with some known industry metrics or the conversion rates, the number of days it takes to do something, et cetera. But when you're at a brand new company, those are just industry metrics. They may not apply to you. And so you have to give it time. So you change things to make it more efficient for you. What is that time frame? Is it, you know, when you're building a brand new marketing stack and pipeline engine, you assume some conversion rates, for example, and you go ahead. But very quickly, you have to start measuring, is that working for us? And if I expect stage one to stage two at, you know, I'll pick a number, 50%. Well, I'm seeing, you know, 
78%. Well, am I that good? Or I'm seeing 30%. Am I really not making? So, for example, for, for that particular, it's a, it's a real example, right? Every quarter, we keep an eye on it like every every week, every month, but every quarter we sit down and we look at all these conversion rates and we look at all the data and we revise our model. Are we on trajectory? Are we seeing better or worse? And what's causing it to get better or worse? That's a longer time horizon. We don't have enough data in the first six months or nine months. Whereas like, you know, if you're running ads, it's a much, because you can see the, you know, effect right away. So it, it just depends on the project. Yeah. Especially if people comment on your ads and tell you that they hate them, which sometimes um, happens. I won't have that happen, but yes, that can happen. <laughs> it can happen and it does way too often, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so let's get into some of the fundamentals in marketing. I know that you you mentioned to us that you have this methodology that um, you think applies to what we're doing here in B2B tech or even cybersecurity tech marketing. Talk to us about what that method looks like. Yeah, so you know, I have a certain fundamental approach to what we call marketing, right? And I'll I'll, I'll start with the example to illustrate this of buying a car. So for those of you who've been you know, around for a little bit, I won't date myself, but you know, let's say 10, 12 years ago, even if you had, if you made a decision to buy a car, you would typically, you know, allocate three to four to five weekends and then just go around and like kind of look at cars and learn what they were about, drive a few different cars, learn the price points, and take, you know, four or five weekends to kind of narrow down your decision. And then, you know, like use two weekends to negotiate maybe, you know, the, the kind of car and the price that you wanted. Well, my last two cars that I bought, and I, I'm pretty sure this is the case with everybody, I've actually validated this. I don't usually step out of my house to kind of make a decision. I kind of know what car I want. I talk to my friends. They're recommending what cars they drive. I'm reading independent car reviews. I'm looking at the features and functions, you know, between these cars. So by the time I've decided to buy a car, I know the car, I know the model, I know the features I want in it. And I also know the price point that is best price point for me to go buy it. So I turn up at a dealership now, basically saying, this is the car I want at this price point and this. I've done my research. Now, I might change my mind, you know, if they offer me something different, but I've cut out this whole process of like the dealer selling it to me versus myself educating about which car, what price point, what value I want from what car. And I think software, you know, or, or B2B marketing is, is exactly the same right now, right? I mean, gone are the days where, you know, your sales team would turn up with a bag and offer a plethora of different, you know, products or, or, you know, here's how we solve it. Most IT buyers, and I'm an IT buyer myself, but it's not just IT my anything. I self-educate myself. I go out there on the internet. I mean, you know, we Google things or we Bing things, you know, however you, you do that. I find out, you know, what I'm trying to solve and who can best, you know, help me with that and what should I be paying for it. And what are other people talking about it? So from a marketing perspective, the most critical pieces are the educational approach 
of teaching people how to fish versus, you know, um, pushing, you know, your fishing gear that you're trying to sell. And for that, the most critical pieces, in my opinion, are, you know, to be very transparent and have that trust and integrity that you build out. And you need to identify and know your stakeholders. You need to know where they hang out, what I call the water coolers. And it's important to kind of like go educate them. So content is really, really important, right? Videos, demos, you know, people want to touch and see the product, not just hear about it. I call them bite-sized nuggets, B-Y-T-E, right? You know, so it's important to kind of go out there and, and, and connect with the community. Build a community depending on what product you're doing. Get your employees engaged, right? Employee advocacy is so important. They should be passionate about what they're building and want to talk about it. Connect with, you know, the industry leaders. Get their feedback. You need to get a dialogue going. You need to get like this. That's the way to do marketing, I think, today. And if, if people look at you as the, they trust you with, you know, what you're teaching them, then they will trust you with the product you're building because you know about that product, Right. And once you get into that, it's really important to build champions around you, your customers, right? Your your community leaders, your, your general community that's using the product, you know, the industry kind of analysts, for example. You have to let them talk about your product. You have to let them talk about the value they drive from this, right? Because you can stand on the rooftops all day long and scream, I got the best, you know, security or DevOps product. It doesn't matter. You got to get others to talk about it. So that's that's the fundamental approach. And to do that, the team you build that believes in doing that and drives that vision, that becomes really important. We were both nodding and smiling when you said our buyers, they want to see the product. They want to touch it. They want to feel it. They want to really experience what it's like without having to be. Uh, you know, enrolled in some sort of sales cadence and having to fill out a form and that sort of thing. And I love that you said that. But what do you say to those who still don't believe that opening the hood to the product without any strings attached is risky, competitors can see it, all of those excuses that I think I still hear today? It's a really tricky balance. And it, yeah. it I've been in both sides of and I've been in both kinds of companies where transparency was like just completely open to partially open to not at all, right? So there's three kinds of companies. Like it's, it's, it's a spectrum. I think, you know, we have to understand that the ones that you're trying to get to buy your product are just people like ourselves. So do you value integrity and transparency by a vendor? Right? Do you trust them more? Do you do you then kind of gravitate more towards them versus, you know, a lot of hand waving and sign these, you know, five kinds of NDAs before I even tell you what my product, you know, UI screen color will look like. It's it's you know self evident, like you know where you would gravitate to, and to to answer your question, like competitors, you know, might get to know. Look in a new market like API security today which is emerging and becoming really important. That's one of the reasons I joined here. Like, you know, it's exciting. You're going to learn a lot of new things. It is important that everybody succeeds. It's surely competition, but we competitors, vendors, right, must get together and educate the market overall, right? It, it's, it's about growing the market, 
it's about solving an in, you know really important problem. It's not me versus you. Yeah, of course we are competitive and we want to win in here. But if we don't all kind of like have some sort of like understanding that look, we got to educate everybody and 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 it's going to benefit everybody, the end consumer, the you know us, everybody. So you know, one of the things I did here was you know I was instrumental in helping start a conference around API security called API Secure working with our competitors and you know somebody who 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 is a leader in you know doing conferences and you know a thought leader in you know um a, a CISO and X hacker like you know to to try to like create a forum where everybody can come and learn and share ideas i did this in devops like you know the devops enterprise summit it was a user conference for electric cloud that we got together and collaborated with gene kim who kind of is the very well known name in you know devops and established DevOps Enterprise Summit. Today is the it's the conference where people go to learn about DevOps. And there are all kinds of competitors in there, right? They're all co-sponsored, co-host, you know, lots of sessions. And yes, if you're transparent, your competitors will know about you, but then that'll spur them to do more innovative things that it ultimately helps our customers, right? You got to go faster than your competitors. That's that's how you like you know do do better. <laughs> that's true. It's about velocity, right? And, it, and maybe the market is limited, but there is enough. I feel like yeah. uh, look, if there's no market that's made, nobody's going to win. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to benefit. So I think transparency and integrity is really important. That's amazing. It reminds me a lot of um, we had Mary Yang on the podcast. Who she's currently the CMO at Six uh, Cents, not the uh, Martech tool, the Intent Data tool, but the cybersecurity company. And one thing she said to us was um, she had set up a, literally uh, at a conference, like a a meeting, a gathering of her her company at the time, and then all the competitors and invited security folks to come and look at all the tools at once. And the security folks loved it. Because it was a great user experience to not have to deal with uh, competitors all like uh, trashing each other. Instead, they laid out all the products on the table. And for those security folks, they could pick the ones that matched uh, or or could find interest in ones that were the fit for them. That's a great idea. Kudos Mm -hmm. to that idea. Like, you know, we kind of try to do that at the conferences, but I see no reason why you can't use, you know, other conferences to, you know, organize events like that. It's something I look into. That's amazing. All right. So I think, you know, before we go, one thing I wanted to, before we get to our game portion of our episode, game time, I do want to plug, I know you said uh, benchmarks, right? Uh, Starting with benchmarks is where you kind of have to start, you know, your past experience and then benchmarks public uh, published on the market. If you're starting from nothing so that you can iterate on is 78% actually great is 30% actually underperformance. Um, I would like to plug that the cybersecurity marketing society has a benchmarking report coming out soon. If not already out now, if it is at the time of this episode publication, we will include it in the show notes and it is a conversion rate funnel a uh, report, benchmarking report only for cybersecurity companies with breakdowns on whether or not you're a PLG company, what series round you are. So anyone listening, feel free to go to our website. And if it's live, it'll be there for you. Awesome. I look forward to that report. Thank you. All right. I think it's time for our game. This is a game where we guess what you would be doing if you could not be in cybersecurity marketing. 
based off of what we know about you from this call. All right. And we also can't choose any previous career. So did you have any, I know you were in, uh, an engineer, security engineer, computers, IT. So we can't, right. you can't, that's off the table. Awesome. So, all right. I think I'll go first this time. And I'm going to go first because I want, because uh, I, I, I see, I think the answer and I want to be the one who wins this episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite a healthy or unhealthy competition between Gianna and I for this I'm, We tied last year. We had 50 or 52 episodes last year and we managed to tie who oh, won wow, the most. Wow. That's so, awesome. That's pretty, uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So, so now the stakes are much higher. <laughs> I think Ashish, <laughs> you would be. right now? I need to know that. Oh, who is? I think it's I you, am. Maria. Yeah, right, it's definitely Maria. <laughs> All right, which means you're going to give me the win, right, Ashish? Okay, so <laughs> I think that you would be a professor because you have a lot of focus on education, on mentoring, on team. You would make an awesome college professor helping young people or people who are in college figure out their career and what they want to do and teach them and give them the fishing rod and how not give them the fishing rod, but teach them how to fish with the rod. (laughs) That is my guess, Maria. Okay. Given your travels and your childhood and uh, living in a family of diplomats, I don't know, but I think that you could possibly be doing something in public policy, international relations, necessarily from a legal perspective or maybe, but something around that, public policy, international relations. So it's this is tricky to answer, right? So you said no previous Ooh. experiences and professions count. Uh-oh. I did teach in do? undergrad, right? So uh. if you look at it that way, then, you know, you get one more chance to give me an alternative career. Yeah. Okay. Otherwise, you're disqualified. Okay. <laughs> what... I think you would be an author. I see all those books behind you. And for those of you who are listening, you can't see the vast array of books, but I can see you writing a book on business because you have all of this experience across all the various facets and that interest you. So I'll have to go with Maria on this. Damn it. <laughs> I, 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 have, I love traveling. I love meeting people, learning their perspectives bringing it together. I love, I would love to write a book, but between these two, I would go with Maria. I think, you know, I, I would jump at a career like that any day. Really hard work. The other one doesn't seem like hard work, even though it would be. I think, I think it would still be hard work. I've always wanted to actually do that international relations and public policy. So if you do make that leap, take me with you, please encourage awesome. me to make the leap. I'll definitely need, 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 need a team for that too, right? So. There you go. <laughs> so joining companies, whether it's early on or already established, of course, you're most of the time tasked with building a winning team. I know you have advice for us about what to think about, the type of uh, people to bring around, diversity in skill set and diversity in backgrounds. Tell us what your methodology for that. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really important um, aspect of kind of doing your, your role well, whether it's in engineering or, or marketing, especially in marketing. You know, I would say my advice would be I try to hire people who are way, way smarter than me right? I need to be the least smart person in the room because there's such intelligent and such experienced people from all facets. 
that you know you hire them and you empower them to do their job right you my job primarily as as a leader and manager is to you know you use the word servant leader but you know i i my job is to remove all roadblocks in letting them you know run and succeed now you know this questions of direction and vision and you know we always should be debating those and you know but when you agree to do something then you should empower them to kind of like just go and execute on that i like my team to stand up to me and challenge me because you know i might come up with the dumbest of ideas that i think is great but you know like i need somebody to kind of challenge me and diversity is really important whether this is background you know gender uh, work experience you know having like-minded people in one room never helps you know with any diversity of ideas challenges change every day every month you know every week so you need to be able to kind of think through that um that's another reason and i love hiring people who are willing to roll up their sleeves and say i don't know about this problem let me f- think about it let me figure it out i think we should experiment and do this and you know we'll find out the answer it ties back to you know my talking about experimenting and learning you put together a team like that they win and everybody wins right that's how i try to hire all right so ashish where can people contact you if they're if you're open to being contacted about uh, maybe hiring at traceable or they want your advice on something are you open uh, absolutely i think you know There are multiple ways to reach me. My LinkedIn profile, you know, is open, and I do accept invitations to connect with people who are interesting. I'll usually try to shy away to accepting those who, you know, trying to sell me something the first time they're trying to reach and approach me. But you know, I I, I would love to connect with folks. You know, any any communities, virtual or you know, physical. Like I live in Austin, Texas, uh, are awesome to connect. I have a Twitter account I can share you know those links and you know addresses on on both sides. So any which way you know you can reach me through LinkedIn, Twitter, another platform that I would love to connect and it's not just about it's a lot about me wanting to connect with people to to kind of learn. Look, I don't think I always I have the best ideas. I think other people have really good ideas that I can learn from. So I'd love to connect and learn more. Awesome. Amazing. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. We understand that your day was probably jam-packed and so we thank you for that one hour that you shared with us telling our listeners about your story and all of your advice. I really enjoyed this. I even took some notes. This has been amazing. Thanks for joining us. It's great. And for our yeah, for our listeners, a new episode drops every Wednesday, so don't forget to subscribe so you can get the alert. Give us as many stars as possible and we'll see you next time.